We are week two into our new series. What's normal anyway? You know, have you ever asked yourself that question? You ever felt abnormal? Thank you. Thank you for being honest. Me too. A lot of times, especially as a believer in our world, I feel completely out of touch. Sometimes I'm like, you know, what planet am I on anymore? And uh, you know what I'm talking about. And so we're trying to, and, 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 you know, what was a book out, I think, Irma Bombeck, was that she wrote a book years ago, Normal's Just the Setting on the Dryer. And, and that's true, that there is, when I'm saying normal, I'm not trying to say how you should look, um, the kind of, you know, the, the activities you should do as far as recreation or the length of your hair. Those are the kind of things that the church, um, even what you sometimes, a lot of times, what you shouldn't do. Those are the things the church world is often fixated on throughout history, on, you know, on what you don't do, and that's normal for us. But I want to look at it from a positive perspective and say, what's normal? What should be normal um, for us as Christians? Because it, this is just the truth. The world around us is in a state of rapid change, unlike any time in the history of humanity. It is just so rapidly changing all the time. And what just a few years ago seemed normal is not for us, doesn't seem normal anymore. So what we're going to do, what we've just started off doing, and I'm only going to give you an introduction to why we're doing this for a few weeks for those who haven't been around, maybe weren't here last week. So what, we've, what we're doing over the next 20 weeks from now through May is we're going to take a look at, at the one thing that we have that is always correct, that never changes, in order to figure out what should be normal for us. And what's that one thing that's always correct and never changes? God's word. You know what? If I was to say, I'm going to tell you what I think is normal, guess what? I'd make mistakes. Oh, some of you nodded really quick on that one. <laughs> you know? Um, and you'd be right. Um, because we're human and uh, we're flawed. We are affected by sin. We don't see everything right. That's why God gave us the gift of his word. So that we have this constancy, this ability to figure out God's perspective on things. And as we're trying to figure out what's normal, you say, well, that's a big book to look at. We're narrowing our focus and we're looking at the book of Acts. And we will, over the next number of weeks, we'll take Acts, start there, and venture into other places in Scripture. But we're looking at Acts and the book of Acts for a reason. Because if you understand your Bible and you understand the placement of the book of Acts in your Bible and its purpose, you understand that the book of Acts is the history book of the early church. It's narrative. It's stories about the early church. A doctor named Luke looked at what was going on and he wrote the book of Acts. And he said, this is what's happening in the early church. And the reason we're looking there is we're going to look at that early church We're going to look at their stories, look at their narratives, and see what things were normal to them in their Christian walks um, so that we want to see what things they did, what things they were committed to. And there's a reason for looking at the book of Acts because we can have confidence that what those early believers did was a direct result of their involvement with Jesus. They're first-generation people. They were people who either walked with Jesus or knew people who walked with Jesus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, so that therefore we can have a sense of security that they had not surely drifted far from what was right and best. Because they were people who walked with Christ and directly heard his communication. And so, so we're going to say, you know, they, we can have a sense of security that they 
they really probably got what was supposed to be spiritually normal. That makes sense? That's why we're looking at the book of Acts. And so, um, and I would tell you this, you're trying to figure out what's normal from the Bible, that's the place to look. Now, we get theology from the whole scriptures, but you've got to understand, when you read the Old Testament, Old Testament theology has to be understood in, in, in light of the New Testament. And New Testament theology says the Old Testament is fulfilled. Matter of fact, it says the law of commandments and ordinances is done away with. And that now we live by, by a, different, a different understanding of, of salvation and grace because of Jesus. And so the New Testament are these people who've been born again in Christ. They're fresh. They heard, a lot of them heard Jesus speak. They were just recently filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look to get this, this incredible window into their world. And that's the book of Acts. So we can be really secure that, that they were committed to the right thing. Now, as we began this study last week, last week we looked into the book of Acts, and this is what we're trying to do every week, and we're trying to say, what does the book of Acts say to us? And sometimes we do just the opposite. We say, what do I believe? How do I speak it into the scriptures? How do I validate what I believe already? We're trying to do just the opposite. I'm trying to do exactly the opposite. I'm probably trying to just read it and say, what, what comes out of it? And as we started that last week, and we kind of looked at the book of Acts, or I looked at the book of Acts, the thing that I pointed out last week that was so obvious from the book of Acts is that one thing that was normal for them is that they were a people who were devoted to prayer. And so it was perfect timing because this last week was our week of fasting and prayer. I hope you cooperated in some, you know, participated rather, in some form. Last night we had a great prayer time here at the church and um, we were trying to be like them, right? Committed people devoted to prayer. We found some things about that last week, that, that the people at the church, they prayed at regularly scheduled times. We got all kinds of those at the church. That they prayed with other people. That when they met, they got together and prayed. And uh, we did that last night. And we did that before church this morning. And that at times they combined fasting with prayer. And we said that by, by those things, people looked at them and said, you know what, those people were devoted to prayer. And that was normal for them. And we understand that it needs to be normal for us. If we'd get nothing else out of this series and this year we'd become a church that's devoted to prayer, there's no telling what God would do through us. I honestly mean that. Because i got to tell you, friends, I'm tired of a church world and it's all around us that's all about just human effort and man's ability to, to market, man's ability to, to woo people from one group to another and say, we got a better show down the street. I'm just, I'm weary of it. I personally can honestly say I've never tried to participate in that, but I'm tired of that become the Norman church world. And, and I just want the authentic, and I know this, if we just are people of prayer, we're going to be so full of the presence of God and so empowered by God that um, our lives will just be shining lights in an ever-dimming, changing world, right? So that was last week. What about this week? Um, this week we're going to look at another thing that as we read the book of Acts, and here's my recommendation for you. You have about five months, four and a half months um, to do this. That if every day, in addition to whatever else you do, or maybe in place of whatever else you do, you would read one chapter of the book of Acts. How many, how many chapters are in the book of Acts? Anybody know? Let me give you a hint. There used to be a music group with a certain Acts name. 29. No, 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 no. The group. Oh, that was second chapter of Acts. There was another thing that was the 29th, Acts 29 was something. Okay, 
I'm, I'm, I'm messing up here. I'm thinking of the second chapter of Acts. But there was, a, there was something that was Acts 29. It's actually a movement, Acts 29 movement. It's not a singing group. And the reason it's Acts 29 is because they're saying they're a continuation from Acts 28. Okay? 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And in those 28 chapters, how many days are in most months? 30, 31. So if you read one chapter a day, every month, you'd read through the book of Acts. And so you would read through the book of Acts five times in this series. I guarantee you that'll change your life. And so I just recommend that you just begin to take the book of Acts, read a chapter a day, every day, for the next five months, and you will go through it. And you say, well, if I read it once, why do I need to read it again? Um, I bet you I've read the book of Acts 200 times in my life. And every time I read it, I see something new, like the rest of Scripture, right? So I just recommend that you begin to let the book of Acts speak to you. So today, as we let, if I've, if I've been letting the book of Acts speak to me, um, the thing that stands out that I want to talk about today as normal, what was normal to them, and this is kind of the definition I'm looking at to try to define what was normal, something that they could not imagine not being part of their Christian experience. They're like, well, it wouldn't be Christianity if we didn't have that. That's how I'm trying to define normal. Um, and this is the thing that jumps out we want to talk about today, that for them, normal was a life filled with worship to God. A life filled with worship to God. You see, like prayer, we find references to worship throughout the entire book of Acts. Worship was um, just a normal part of their daily lives. And here's what I think we need to understand. Worship for them wasn't a church activity. Worship to them, I really think this is accurate to say, was more of a sense of a character trait than an activity. It was who they were. They were people who at their heart were worshipers. And the reason for that is they had really met Jesus and he had forgiven them of their sins and delivered them from evil and bondage. And their hearts were filled with love and gratitude. And that love and gratitude poured out of them with expressions of worship. Now, I think that this is something that we need to grasp before we'd ever look at anything specific about how people worship then or worship now. Here's our tendency as human beings. We say, give me the points, give me the details, tell me what to do. But telling you what to do if, if you don't know why you do it and what the heart of it is really leads you to a false system that ends up leaving you empty, that you go, oh, I did it and now I don't feel it, or that doesn't mean anything to me. But so what we want to talk about here is, before we look at anything specific, we want to think about this idea of what worship really is. And I honestly believe this today, that for some of you, this is going to be, that God, this is the word God was speaking to me all week, that this is going to be revelation knowledge to people. And now people get a little spooky if I say that, but I really believe the Spirit was saying that he wants to reveal something to us today as a church so that we can be people who who like the early church were worshipers, not saying we sang songs, not a church thing, but our character trait is that we have the heart of worship. You see, this is what I think. I think a lot of people simply view worship as setting aside 20 or 30 minutes on a Sunday morning to sing a few songs about God or tuning in the radio to Caleb while they're driving down the street and singing with whatever group is popular at the time, and they say, that's worship. Now, Here's my perspective on it, and I think it's the right perspective. That can be worship, but that's not necessarily worship at all. You can sing every song in church and never worship for one second. 
It's honestly true. You can, you can listen to Caleb. Caleb right now is doing the 30-day challenge. You know, listen to nothing about country, but country. Christian music. <laughs> that was Freudian, I guess. Listen to Christian music for the next 30 days and, and see what it affects you. I think it will be a positive effect in your life. But you know what? You could listen to it every day, sing every song, and not truly worship. You see, real worship, the type of worship that we see in the people in the book of Acts is something much more and deeper than singing some God songs. That here's the key to real worship. I believe this is the, the heart of what God wants to get you from and the, and the statement that he wants everything else to flow out of today, and it's this, that real worship is a response. That, and here's the definition, that it is a response or a reaction to a revelation. And this is the revelation. The revelation that God not only loves the world, but he actually, in all reality, loves you individually. That's something that needs to sink into your hearts today. That real worship, is a re- it's a revelation. It's a reaction or a response to the revelation that God not only loves the world. We say, oh, God so loved the world. We know that. But he not only actually loves the world, but in all reality, he loves you as an individual. That he knows you by name. That he loves you so much that he not only created heaven and earth for you, but he also has prepared an eternal home for you where you can be with him forever. That that's the revelation he wants you to get today. And beyond that, that he has made it possible for you to be with him now and for eternity by removing the barrier that separates all mankind from himself, which we know is sin. See, sometimes to get worship, we've got to really understand what goes on, what's going on, what Jesus has really done. Sometimes we say we get it, but I'm not so sure we do. You see, because mankind as a whole, through the, from the very first couple, chose to reject God's way and instead choose Satan's way. That's what they did. Mankind chose sin. And by choosing sin, they chose to follow Satan's way. So what was Satan saying to mankind? Go ahead. Don't listen to God. Has God really said? Don't listen to God. And he said this in essence. Listen, guys. Listen, Adam and Eve. He's holding you back. He doesn't want you to become like him. Go ahead. Eat the fruit and what? And be like God. That's what the devil said to Eve, right? That's what the serpent said to Eve. Be like God. That was Satan's message. And what's the scripture say to us in Genesis? It says that mankind chose to reject God and to accept Satan. They rejected God's way. They chose Satan's way. And Friends, got to understand this. That should have sealed our fate. Mankind, our fate, because we're descendants of the first couple. That should have sealed our fate. We should be lost, bound in sin, separated from God forever. Because mankind said, I'm going Satan's way instead of God's way. But guess what? That didn't. It didn't seal our fate. Because of one thing, and one thing only. God loves you. I want you to say that this morning. Close your eyes for a second. Because some of you, I don't think you believe it. I want you to say this. I'm going to say it and then you repeat it with me. God loves me. Say that with me this morning. God loves me. He loves you. Um, God loves you. So he himself, the son of God, didn't get somebody else to do it. God himself, Jesus, the son of God, came to this earth to rescue you. 
He gave himself as a sacrifice to pay the price for your sin when he willingly went to the cross. And then because of love, he called you by name and said, if you will come to him and trust in him, he will forgive you and save you and you will be together with him forever. Understand thing about worship. Those people in the book of Acts, they got this message. It was, it was fresh. They saw it in living color. They, a lot of them, had actually seen Jesus live, seen Jesus die, and seen Jesus raised from the dead and watched him ascend into, into heaven. They had actually seen it, or they knew people who had seen it. And they were so overwhelmed and changed by his love for them that his love for them was real. It wasn't religion. It wasn't history. That's why we need a revelation of that truth. Because a lot of times it's in here, but it has to be literally revealed to us. We need to experience it. We need to know it. God needs to open up our understanding to it. It was real to them. It wasn't religion. And friends, here's the key. And the response, the reaction to the revelation that God himself loved them that much was that they worshipped, that they expressed love back. You see, when you really understand and embrace the very real love that God has for you, when you grasp what, what that love put God through, and when you begin to see how wonderful God really is, then your response, your reaction is worth worship because everything within you wants to express love back. That's what worship is. It's not singing songs. It can be, but that's not what worship is. It's an expression of love back to the revelation of who he is and what he's done. You see, our expression of our very real love for God, that is our worship. It's not playing instruments and singing songs. And we get that. So that's why then we sing to him. The singing's not it. The why we sing to him is our reaction to the revelation of his love. So that's why we sing to him. That's why we kneel before him. That's why we gather together on a Sunday morning. It's why we come to a prayer meeting on Saturday night. That's why we do it. It's why we dance before the Lord in worship. That's why we do it. It's the, the, what, the, the what we do is, a, is the expression of the why. Because... We experience his love. We then express it back to him in all these ways. Now, the book of Acts has this incredible, very real example of this kind of, what I'm going to say is genuine worship. Matter of fact, I really think it has maybe the best example of real worship anywhere in Scripture. And it's the story, the account, of Paul and Silas worshiping God in prison after they were beaten. Grab your Bibles with me. Turn to Acts chapter 16. Did you bring your Bible today? Good. If you didn't or you're visiting, there's a Bible under the chair in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, it's welcome for you to take it, use it, take it home with you. It's yours to give. Acts chapter 16. Remember, we're not looking to what Mark has to say. We're looking to what God has to say. Because there's been a time or a thousand that I've been wrong. Acts 16. Let's start in verse 22. 
It says the crowd arose, and this is just the story. This is on the tail end of when Paul and Silas were ministering, and there was this there was this a demon possessed slave girl that was following around, kind of cause, saying the truth, but but being a nuisance, saying these are the men of God, but just being a nuisance. And Paul cast a demon out of her, and the the slave owner of this girl got mad because they made money by her being a fortune teller. So they got ticked, and this is a response that goes on here in Acts 20, chapter 16, 22. And it says, And the crowds rode up, crowd rode up together, rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their, their feet in the stocks. This sounds pretty fun and comfortable, right? Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened, which shows you it wasn't just a natural earthquake. Verse 27, and when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped because otherwise he would have been executed for not doing his job. In verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and and set food before them, and they rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. As I said, I think this is maybe the best example of what real worship is anywhere in scriptures because of this. It reveals something about the worshipers. It's not talking about what worship is. It reveals something about the heart of the worshipers. And this is what it reveals. It reveals that their love relationship with Jesus was so real. They understood the love of God so much that it wasn't diminished. That love relationship wasn't diminished even in the most traumatic situation So even in adversity, they worshipped. You get what I meant there? That their love relationship with Jesus was so real that it wasn't diminished, even in the most traumatic situation. That even in adversity, they worshipped. Think of the story. This is not some made-up fairy tale. These are real men in the real world who really got beaten. And here they are, Paul and Silas, They've just been assaulted by a mob for simply really just ministering for Christ and telling people about Jesus and setting a lady free from demonic bondage. And they were assaulted by a mob and then they're beaten with rods by the Roman authorities and they're bound in stocks. This wood thing is clamped on their feet. They're put in the inner dank, dark, probably stinky, rotten, damp prison. And at midnight, these two guys... What do we find them doing? Verse 25, praying and singing hymns of praise to God. 
I think it's the most amazing example of worship in all the Bible. Because this is, this is so interesting to me, their response. Because this is just, I'm just going to be honest with you for a while. I hope I'm always honest, but I want you to understand what I'm saying here. This is not what I, at times, have experienced in my own hardship. And it's surely not what I sometimes or maybe often observe in the lives of other Christians who are experiencing difficulty. It's not. I don't see them going through difficulty in, in praising God, singing hymns of praise to God. But this is what I know. It's what I want for me. And it's what I want for you. Because it shows that it's an outflow of something real. It's not just something they do to be religious. It's who they are on the inside. It's a character trait. See, what I so often observe in the lives of people who say that they're Christians, and I don't doubt that, is that when difficulty comes, they generally stop worshiping. And even sometimes, and I've heard this dozens and dozens and dozens of times, and I never try to really point it out to a person because I know they're in a tough spot. What ends up happening when things go bad is they not only stop worshiping, but even sometimes they get angry with God or blame God for their situation. And it comes out as anger towards God. What made, what made Paul and Silas different than that? Why didn't they? They were in a rotten situation. Not only in a bad, you could say one time, oh, I had a bad situation in my life. But he's got a bad situation directly as a result of obeying God and doing what he called them to do. And they're beaten and they're thrown in prison for it. Why, what made them different? Why did they worship even in times of trouble? Well, I think this is the answer. And it is the key to real worship. It comes down to a proper view of who God really is. See, really, it comes down to understanding and experiencing this revelation of who God is. You see, Paul really knew who Jesus was. He had been this persecutor of the church. He used to be Saul of Tarsus, the, the Pharisee who was imprisoning and beaten and even killing Christians until one day Jesus appeared to him in a revelation on the road to Damascus. He revealed his great love to him, who he was. And from that day on, Paul understood just how wonderful and personally loving Jesus is, that Jesus had saved even him and transformed even him, this persecutor of the church. And as a result, he walked through situations with a proper perspective. Understand, this is the key to worship, that he never doubted that God loved him. That he never believed that a difficult situation was a result of God's anger toward him. And that's where I see people error. They think God's angry with them and he somehow caused difficulty in their life. Paul never for a minute thought that the difficulty in his life was a result of God's anger toward him because he knew that God was always for him and always loved him. So he worshipped. And then when difficulty occurred, he stood upon his proper foundation, his proper view of God, and he faced whatever came his way by trusting that God would see him through and bring something good out of the difficulty so he could worship the God who loved and cared for him no matter what came because he never for a moment doubted that God loved him because he really understood who Jesus is. See, but when I see someone encounter difficulty and then they get angry and they blame God 
or they, they just say, I'm angry with God. It says to me that they don't really have a proper view of the God of the Bible and they don't understand fully the revelation of his love. And I'm not saying that person's not genuinely a believer because I believe they surely can be. Because sometimes I react the same way. But I would say this, that the understanding of God is flawed. Somehow people believe that negative or hurtful circumstances are the result of God's activity. And I hear this all the time. Why did God take my son? A lady called me from Michigan this week. Used to be in the church. I let Suzanne and I led her to Christ. She's an active part of the church that, that we planted in Michigan. She called me because she was going to go to her neighbor's house. Her neighbor, reason she's going to her neighbor's house, she's been witnessing this lady for years. Her husband this week was killed in a snowmobile accident. And she says, Pastor, I know what she's going to say to me. I've been telling her about Jesus forever. And she's going to say this. I don't know how to answer. She's going to say, but why did God take my husband? And I listened to the lady and I said, what are you talking about? She goes, how do I answer that question? I said, you tell her she's wrong. What do you mean? I said, God didn't take her husband. God didn't cause her husband to drive 100 miles an hour in a snowmobile and hit a tree. God didn't do it. God didn't design people in this world to die. God didn't design sickness. It's because man chose Satan. And God said, if you eat it, you will die. He said, choose that way and that's what you'll get. Choose my way and you'll live. He said, sin entered the world. And we all live in a sin-cursed world, even as believers. We live in a sin-cursed world to the day we die. And guess what? Every one of us face what Ralph is going to face, what he just faced. You die. Because of mankind choosing the choosing Satan's way. Now sin is ever present. Now we get freed from sin and delivered, but the curse of sin is still on this world. Scripture says all creation groans waiting for the day of redemption. What's redemption? When, when a new heaven, a new earth come and there will be no more effect of sin. Right? So what happens is people don't have a proper view of God. And they go through difficult times, their view of God is flawed, and they somehow believe that negative or hurtful circumstances are the result of the activity of God. And so they say things, Pastor, why did God, why did God take my spouse? Or how come God allowed me to lose my job? And I go, He didn't. He didn't. We live in a world of corruption because mankind chose Satan over God. That's the reality. That's the flawed view of God. People, they view that somehow God must not really love them. That's why something negative happened. That's how come something, God must be punishing me. God must be angry at me. Friends, if you're a child of God, he's not going to punish you. He's not angry. He loves you. That's the revelation you need to understand today. He loves you. Are there consequences for wrong actions? Yes. But he loves you. He never changes his love for you. And if we don't receive that revelation, that's why we get angry and frustrated. And here's the connection then to worship. If you are angry and frustrated with God, then there is no way you can really worship. You can sing all the songs you want. You can come to church, you can sing 30 30 days of K-Love every single day, but there's no way you can really worship because remember, what do we say in the beginning? Worship is our expression of love back toward God. Do you see the connection here? Real worship is a response to the revelation of God's love. And when we really begin to grasp his love, then we can't help but respond in worship back to him, even in difficult times. 
Because in difficult times, we never question the love of God. But if we're blaming God, then we can't really function out of love because we're saying we really don't get his love, and then all we can do is sing songs. We can't really worship. See, that's how come Paul and Silas could worship in such a hard time. They understood the love of God. They understood that God hadn't abandoned. They didn't sit in prison and say, why has God done this to us? Why did he let me get beaten? They understood. Remember something amazing, something that will change some of your theology. Go back and read Acts 9 today about the conversion of Saul to Paul. Because you know what it says? God, he, God sends a guy named Ananias to pray for him because Saul's blinded on the road. Anybody remember what Ananias, the message of Ananias from God to Paul was? Tell him how much he will suffer for serving me. God loved him so much he saved him. And he said, guess what, Paul? I love you forever and I got a big job for you. And guess what? I'm going to tell you right up front, you're going to suffer a ton in doing it. He understood that suffering had nothing to do with a lack of love from God. And when you think suffering is a reflection of a lack of love, there's no way you can worship. Because God doesn't ever love you less. He loves you. That's the connection. That's how come Paul and Silas could worship in hard times. They didn't blame God. They didn't think God was the genesis, the, the reason, the fountain of the reason that they were suffering. They understood the devil was the reason they were suffering, not God himself. And friends, that's how you can worship in hard times. When you receive the revelation that God really loves you. And let me tell you something. Worship, looking at them, worship is the best thing you can do in hard times. It's not only just the, the response, it's the best thing that you can do in hard times. See, this is what I know, because I've done it wrong way too many times. This is what I know. Complaining, grumbling, blaming other people does nothing positive in hard times. As a matter of fact, those things actually make hard times harder. And here's a reason for it. Put, the, put Connect the dots here. Those things, complaining, grumbling, blaming other people, those things cause you to, fix, to fixate on the problem instead of fixating on the solution. That's why they make it worse. You look at the problem, you elevate, you magnify the problem instead of looking to the solution. But worship causes us to fix our focus on the solution. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is always the solution. The one according to scripture, according to Ephesians 3.20, this is what it says about Jesus, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power this, that is at work within you. He can do anything. He's the source of your solution every time. And when we worship, we take our eyes off the problem and we place our eyes on the solution. And then what we do is we open up ourselves to the possibility of God's intervention. We welcome him to come and fix the problem when we worship instead of complain. And look, look that's exactly what Paul and Silas did. Instead of complaining, instead of grumbling, instead of blaming, what did they do? They worshiped. And look at how God intervened on their behalf. 
He shook the prison foundations. But he didn't just shake it. He knocked all of the shackles off of them. He opened up the locks. That's not the result of an earthquake. It's a divine intervention. And he set them free from their problem, which at that moment was prison. He set them free. And notice one more thing about it. If you don't think worship's important, if you don't, if you can't, if you don't look at the book of Acts and see this jump off the pages, understand there's something else here that jumps right off at you, and it's this. One more thing. Because they chose to worship instead of grumble and complain, the prison guard knew that something was different about these guys. So when he was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners under his care had escaped, Paul stopped him and explained to him how he could be saved. The guy's response, what must I do to be saved? He had heard him worshiping. He knew there's something different. How, you know, how, could, how could he know? Um, why would he go to them and say, what must I do to be saved in this situation? Because he recognized there was somebody, something different about these guys. You see, when you worship instead of grumbling and complaining and blaming others, you stand out as different. You want to be like everybody else around you? Everybody else in the world and a whole bunch of people within the church world? You want to be like everybody else? Just grumble and complain and blame everybody else for all the difficulty in your life. Just be like everybody else and sometimes me. Right? you want to have a platform from which to explain about Jesus, to explain why you're different than worship. They say, why are you different? Why can you worship in hard times? How come you rejoice in Jesus even when things fall apart? How come your faith isn't shaken and you still love Jesus even though that person died, even though you lost your job, even though the crowd beat you with rods and locked you in the prison? How come you do that? Because you really know Jesus loves you. And he loves you even in the hard times. And in fact, you know he can redeem the hard times and bring something wonderful out of the difficulty. Church, worship is the response to the revelation that God really loves you. And I believe this with all my heart. Some in here today need to be set free by this truth. You have walked with God for years, but you have a flawed view of who he is. I don't say that with one ounce of condemnation. I say that with a complete heart of, of wanting to see all of us experience the fullness of God. And you need to embrace the truth that God's word is proclaiming to your ears today that his love for you is unconditional, that you can't earn it, that he'll never love you more or less than he does right now no matter what you do. Am I saying you should sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. That's for another sermon. What I'm saying is, even if you do something wrong, he doesn't stop loving you. His love is never diminished. He will never love you more or love you less than he does right now. His love for you is absolutely unconditional. And some of you simply need to let that revelation grip your heart and your mind today. And you need to receive it. Because it's what God has for you. He wants to change your life. And just maybe, also, maybe there's somebody in here 
who's never fully given your lives to Jesus yet because you never really got that he loved you. Understand he's love, he loves you, and he's calling your name. And he's saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He wants to set you free from sin. You don't know him, he wants to become your Savior and your Lord. And if you've not done that today, today you can say yes to Jesus. And that's because he loves you today. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to end in the only way that would be proper to end with this topic. We're going to worship. We're going to spend some time worshiping the Lord. You can worship out of a heart of love, or you can just worship by singing songs. But I'll tell you what the whole difference is. Receive the revelation of his love to you today. And then you're just expressing back your love to him. That's worship. But before we worship, would you just join me in prayer? We invite all of us in this congregation right now just to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want to pray for two things this morning. The first thing is this. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And you know in the depths of your heart that the Lord is trying to reveal to you today that He loves you. And you've had a hard time accepting that. Maybe you had a really hard background. Maybe you've been unloved by parents. Maybe you've had just a, a history of abuse. I don't know what it is, but because of it, maybe you've had bad marriages. Because of it, you've just kind of felt like, I can't be loved. You need to believe the truth of God today. It needs to penetrate the hardness. And you need to receive the truth by revelation knowledge that God loves you. And if you know that word's for you today, I want you to do something. I want you just to raise your hand this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. Slip up your hand and say, God, today. Raise up your hand and say, God, today, I want the revelation of your love. Today, God, I want the revelation of your love. Thank you, God all across this place that's not, a, that's not a bad thing that's a wonderful thing God's heart today was he wanted to reveal this truth he wanted to change us he wants to set us free as it, by, through his word so slip up your hands and say God I want to receive that revelation of your love today thank you Jesus in just a moment you're going to get to worship and I want you to ask the Lord say God Help me to feel your love so I can express it back to you today. Now I want to ask one more question today before we worship. Maybe you're here and only you know the answer to this as only you know the answer to the other part. You say, Pastor Mark, I really don't have a real genuine relationship with Jesus. But I want to ask Christ into my life right now. Which is a response to the revelation of his love. You just say, I need Jesus in my life. And today I want to respond to that. Today I want to ask him in my life. Would you do the same thing? Would you slip up your hand this morning? I'm not going to call you out and embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. So I want to ask Christ in my life. Okay? Anybody else? I'm just going to pray a short prayer. If you slipped up your hand, I want you to pray this prayer in just the depths of your heart. Don't even, no one needs to pray it out loud. You just pray this in the depths of your heart right now. My dear Jesus, 
I hear your voice. And today, I know you love me. And so today, I ask you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, and to make me brand new. Lord, I know because you love me, I can trust you. And so, Lord, I receive you today as my Savior and my Lord. And I want to now serve you all the days of my life. Thank you, Lord. Now, the proper response is to worship. For coming to Christ, the proper response for everything is to worship. So let's just begin to worship the Lord. When you feel dismissed by the Lord, quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. We're just going to end with worship. You worship as long as you want. God bless you, church.